Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Thursday, September 1st, 2022. My goodness, where did the time go? Mark Daly here, back in the studio with Mr. Mark Hamilton. And might I add, before we get into it, the reports of my firing from this uh, podcast were greatly exaggerated. I was just, uh, I was on holiday for a couple of weeks. And Hammy, you did not take take a breath of uh or, or take a break at all over the past couple of weeks i mean you did an amazing job keeping the, the the podcast running uh and all that great content but it's great to be back it's uh it's exciting or at least i hope it will be so how are you doing i'm doing amazing welcome back to the show and you know it's funny Thank if you. somebody had listened to the very end of the last podcast that i did with tim i acknowledged to the world that i was not aware of your vacation nor was i aware of how long your <laughs> vacation was going to be and it's one of those things where if you tell me something important my boss tells me something important or my wife tells me something important i just don't have the ability to process so i didn't even realize you were going and then i also had your return date uh, wrong so to everyone that stepped up to support in the meantime Charbol, thanks for jumping on hamda thanks for the interview uh, matt sakaris thanks for the interview and the, the podcast adam burns thanks for jumping on and tim thanks for jumping on you all saved me because i effectively had nothing planned for your absence but my friend how was your time away it was great. Uh, I spent the last two weeks in uh, Ottawa, Ontario, which is also the capital city of Canada. That's where our parliament is. That's where the Senate is. Great city. And the, we, we did so much. We were visiting family. We went down to Montreal for the day. Some of you might have seen that uh, picture that I, I uh, the selfie that I took with my son in front of the Wall of Champions. We went over to Ile Notre Dame. You can drive around Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in your car. And it, it was a lot of fun. It was just, it was great to get to, to do a lot of things. We also, th- there's a lot of great museums in 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 Ottawa basically anything that you can uh, you know if there's there's something you want to learn about you can find it there but uh, I guess it's the same with a lot of big cities except for for Vancouver we seem to be lacking on a lot of things like that there's a lot of cool things here to do too don't get me wrong but uh, I especially like uh, that that sort of stuff but it was great I came back I was all relaxed all nicely rested straight back to work on Monday morning and I'm ready for another holiday already <laughs> but I, I guess it's the same for, with everybody right by the way, did I mention to you? So one of our one of our fantastic listeners out of the Chicagoland area, Michelle, had actually made the trek all the way to Vancouver. And I think yeah. when you were on vacation, I had the opportunity to actually meet up with her for a couple of minutes. So that was very very cool. That's very I promise, cool. because we have a lot of listeners in Illinois and Chicago that I will get out there one day. Chicago is one of those cities I definitely want to visit. But yeah, it was super cool being able to see uh and and 
kind of interact with one of our listeners as we start to migrate out of this pandemic era. But my friend, it's so good to have you back. I'm super excited to get back in the rhythm. It was an unusual summer break, but a couple of things I should mention, just a couple of laundry items. One, shout out to JT the Human for the music, the intro, the outro. If you're interested, you can find JT the Human on Spotify, Apple Music. He does a great job. He's been fantastic for us. If you do not subscribe to the Race Weekend magazine, I urge you to do so. And I say this only because I'm in love with that publication. If you were interested <laughs> in this one-year subscription for issues, you can do so and get 10% off if you use Scuderia Pod as your promo code. And I think we should probably at some point today touch on F1 Fantasy Championship update. But the other couple of points I did want to make sure we get before we mm-hmm. get too deep into today's new show, and we've got a ton of great stuff. Uh, last weekend, we dropped the long-promised Power Units 101, Charbel Saloum, straight out of uh, Lebanon, uh, was kind enough to join me. He works for the Mina. Uh, Middle East and North Africa Grand Prix Media Organization. They're doing some really great work covering Formula One in that part of the world. We did a really great show. If you're interested in getting a better understanding of what a power unit is and what it does, make sure to check that out. Next week, I'll be sitting down with Megan Schuster of The Ringer to talk Formula One and learn more about her journey in media and sports journalism. And in the end of September, I'll be sitting down with Kevin Clark, also of The Ringer, the host of The Ringer F1 show incredibly excited about that one. So lots of cool stuff coming. But that said, my friend, is there some value in maybe recapping all of the things that happened immediately before and through the summer break before we jump into the news stories? Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's. I found it to be an above average summer break. I mean, usually after, uh, sorry, I was going to say spa, but after the Hungarian uh, Hungarian <laughs> Grand Prix, uh, my mouth hasn't come off uh, summer break yet. So it's going to take me a little while to get back in gear. But yeah, I mean, usually after the Hungarian Grand Prix is radio silence. You you hear a couple of things after that, that, that race, and then it kind of trickles and dwindles. And then it's pretty quiet for a couple of weeks. You know, the only thing you really hear is a couple of news stories here and there. You go onto Instagram and check out some of the different drivers and see what they're up to on their holiday. But it seemed like there was a lot of stuff going around. I mean, this uh, whole Oscar Piastri thing, that's kind of like ongoing the whole, well, the whole Porsche thing and Red Bull and Honda, are they in, are they out? But I mean, where do you want to pick it up? I mean, there's well, so I many think- different stories that we, we can kind of recap over the last three and a half to four weeks, right? I think a little bit of context to kind of pick up a lot of the news stories today is the first half of the season kind of ended with a big bang, right? Not necessarily mm-hmm. with what was happening on the track, but off the track. And the first domino that fell was, of course, Sebastian Vettel retiring, and then Fernando yes. Alonso's shock move to Aston Martin. Alpine then subsequently announced that Oscar Piastri was going to join them, to which he refuted that and indicated he was not going to join, <laughs> presumably because he had a ride with McLaren. And then, of course, Daniel Ricciardo then announces that he will not be picking up his option on 2023 with McLaren, and that he's effectively going to be bought out and become a free agent. It was a lot. And then one of the big stories, of course, that came out during the summer was also the fact that Audi is officially in, but they announced they were coming in only as an engine supplier, a power unit supplier, that they have not yet made a formal announcement on who they're going to partner with or who they're going to buy. And presumably it's going to be Sauber, but that announcement hasn't been made. And they announced that, or they indicated that we'll know sometime before the end of the year. But the Porsche piece, which you just talked about, are they, are they not? Well, we'll get into this a little bit later. We were all expecting an announcement of Porsche and mm-hmm. Red Bull back in Austria at the Red Bull ring. That's didn't right. happen. Didn't happen over the summer break. And maybe now there's a risk that it doesn't happen with Red Bull at all. 
Isn't that crazy? It just kind of seemed like that would be such a, a natural fit, right? Right. The, the, right. the two of them. And it was funny, too, because Tim and I were talking about on the show last Sunday night after the Grand Prix. And again, it was a dominant performance by Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Sergio, of course, had a good race as well, although somewhat quieter than his teammate. And I said to Tim during the show, I said, you have to think that the way that, thing is, that things are playing out this year... <clears throat> excuse me, with the, with Red Bull and the way that they're now running away with both championships, that there's going to be some very unhappy people in Tokyo at Honda HQ, that there's all this dominance with the Red Bull, but there isn't a Honda badge on those engines, yes. you know, and, oh and that's, my it's gosh. just, my yes. goodness, like what a marketing nightmare. I mean, so it's just, uh, it, it it's just incredible. And then it's, uh, well, I mean, we're kind of putting the cart before the horse here, but this sort of like, are they in? Are they out? Are they leaving? Have they even left? I mean, it just gets so confusing as to what the, the, the real status is of, uh, of Red Bull and Honda and what Honda's intentions are and this whole Porsche situation. It, it, it seems like it's a little bit up in the air now because maybe Honda isn't going to leave at all. So <laughs> who knows? Well, it, like I say, the if they ever thing. left in the first place. Let's put that Honda story in reverse for a second. We go back to 2020. They're what they're two, three years deep into the relationship with with Red Bull, and they announced that after 2021, they are done and gone. And the agreement, as it emerges over the successive six to 12 months is that they're going to completely leave the sport and they're going to hand the IP for the current engines over to Red Bull powertrains and Red Bull will continue building the engines, basically using the Honda blueprints at their factory in Milton Keynes. But in parallel to that, Red Bull would have to start designing their own power unit for 2026 from scratch with no residue, with none of the IP from the Honda power unit. Well, that's not what's happened. Honda is still building the engines in Tokyo. It's still shipping them to Milton Keynes in the UK and will do so right through the end of 2025. So Red Bull powertrains, they're busy getting an engine ready for 2026. Whether Porsche comes or not, they're doing that. But in the meantime, that is a Honda built, Honda designed, Honda engineered power unit in the back of the car that is going to propel them to a constructor's and a driver's title this year. And to your point, Honda's getting none of the credit. And and I know I put this story in the news story today. Where is it here? Let me just bring this up. But uh, Red Bull rewarded Honda's chief mechanic and trackside manager, Makoto Yoshino, with a trip to the Belgian GP podium. Well, that was a nice gesture. But what would be mm -hmm. really nice for Honda is to have Honda in the title sponsor of this team, Honda Red Bull. It's not there. Crazy. I can't think of a parallel like this in Formula One. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of hand hand wringing and just uh, a lot of upset people there that 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 they didn't take advantage of it. I mean, let let's be honest. When they first started uh, that partnership with uh, Red Bull, they basically said we are not going to come to this team and have any sort of deficit compared to what you had with the Renault engines. And that that year one, it was basically a cut and paste job, right? I mean, the results right, that they totally. had with Red Bull that first year were very comparable with what they were getting with Renault in all the years prior, right? So it was a good, solid way to, to, to build it up. And then they slowly kind of built up uh, from there. And last year, it was obvious that that package of Red Bull and Honda was extremely competitive. And now this year, they've even leveled up on that. And and exactly to your point, there is not a single Honda badge on there. There's nothing referencing Honda. And it's just, they, they must be so frustrated and beside themselves. But unfortunately, that uh, that pain is completely self-inflicted. Yeah, completely agree. I couldn't agree more with that. And had they left the sport after 2021, I, I guess... 
I guess maybe the feelings wouldn't be so strong, but the fact that they opted into supplying for three more years without getting their name onto that car. And I've read in a couple places that we could see more dominant HRC, Honda Racing Corporation, or Honda badging on the car next mm-hmm. year. But if Porsche does link up with Red Bull, if that announcement does come, how satisfied is Porsche, who will be a partial or part or half owner of the Red Bull Formula One team, how right. satisfied or happy are they going to be that Honda is going to have their badging? Because they are an automotive rival. And I get it. Porsche isn't building $30,000 family sedans and minivans. <laughs> but ultimately, I don't think Porsche is going to love Honda badging on a car that they are responsible for putting on the track every week. So yeah, yep. it's it's just it's one of those crazy things about, about Formula One. And We've talked to about this before that the outgoing board of Honda are the ones that ultimately voted on this exit from Formula One and the new yep. board out of respect has honored kind of honored the the promise that the previous board had made. But I got to think now more than ever, they're probably taking a serious look at those 2026 engine regulations and making that decision to stay in the sport. Oh, here we go. I've got some uh, audio here from the most recent board meeting in Tokyo that happened after the last race, and this was the the, the common consensus. Go! Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Simpsons jokes aside, okay, another big story, at least I think it's a big story, is the fact that uh, Danny Ricardo is uh, splitting ways with McLaren at the end of the season. I don't think that this is any big surprise by any stretch of the imagination and i just can't help but wonder are we going to see danny ricardo back in formula one next year i i think it's 50 50 i i wouldn't be surprised if he finds a drive somewhere and i wouldn't be surprised if he didn't i mean to me the only logical place for a semi-competitive team would be alpine but the only name that's really being thrown out there in conjunction with that seat that was vacated with uh, or, or, or by um, Fernando Alonso and his recent switch to Aston Martin is Pierre Gasly. And I mean, Gasly is a guy that we talked about. Well, I mean, we've talked about him uh, quite a bit uh, over time, but I think the last time we talked about it, uh, we, we'd made the comment that we, we really felt that Pierre would be best served in his career if he could get out of that Red Bull system and go to somewhere that can maybe let him flourish a little bit. Because I think he's kind of outgrown the purpose of that feeder team, that development team that is Toro Rosso slash Alpha Tauri, because I mean, he's been on both sides of that coin. And I, I just don't see any benefit for him long term. I mean, obviously, he won a race there. He's had some he's had some good times in that car, but I mean, he wasn't able to step it up. I think that opportunity to go to Red Bull just came a little bit too soon in his career. I mean, had it come a year or two later, it might have been a completely different story. But that's that move was forced on him about as much as it was on Red Bull themselves. And that kind of, you know, sort of you know, kind of links nicely back to to Danny Ricardo, but it's just interesting. I mean, I don't really see anywhere else for him. I, I, I mean, I guess maybe a team like Haas, but the the other name that's being thrown out there, and I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, is um, that maybe Mick Schumacher, who's going to be severing ties with the the Ferrari Academy at the end of the uh, season, making him a free agent effectively in the Formula One driver market is not being touted to go back to Haas next year. But Antonio Giovinazzi, who was at uh, Alfa Romeo the past couple of years, he is. He's obviously on the sideline this year. I think Alfa have a pretty solid lineup of uh, drivers right now with Valtteri Bottas and Joe Guan Yu. I think Joe's had a pretty decent-ish campaign so far for a Formula One rookie. 
And I think that uh, Voltaire is the perfect guy in a team like uh, Alfa Romeo. I mean, he's had he's had some moments. He's also had a little bit of bad luck. But let's not forget, he's not uh, driving a bulletproof uh, Mercedes anymore. So he's been, uh, and I mean, just what happened to him last weekend in that uh, bit of an unfortunate um, kind of non-accident with Nick Latifi at Spa was just uh, one of those... Uh, Yep, it's one of those kind of days and when he sort of got stuck and beached in the, in the gravel. But I mean, apart from those kind of teams, I mean, where else is Ricardo really going to go, Mark? I feel like you've just covered the entire podcast worth of topics in one beautiful right. soliloquy. So we're done here. Um, we yep, probably quickly perfect. reference. No, that, that, was, <laughs> that was fantastic. And I can't think of the... I'm struggling to think of the perfect analogy. It's like, it's not that the the Vettel retirement was a domino. Maybe it was a domino. It was the first domino that fell. And it's just been total chaos ever since. Because one, I think most of us expected Vettel to be in back next year. We expected that Alonso would re-sign with Alpine for a, a year or two. Uh, I think we all expected that Ricardo was going to find a way to retain that seat that he would opt in for 2023. And ultimately, all of those things disintegrated before our eyes. And as recently as last week, and I was talking to Tim about this on one of our podcasts last week, the the general consensus was that if the opportunity was there, Daniel Ricciardo was going to go back to Alpine. That that's a team that's relatively, I, I guess you could say, an equivalent team from a performance perspective in terms of their yeah. arrow and and the power unit. Like that would be a pretty good transition. And it's a team and a factory and in stone in stone that he's he's familiar with. But I think that that opportunity has kind of vanished before our eyes because the Pierre Gasly opportunity arose and Helmut Marco earlier this week indicated that Red Bull would be more than happy to release him from his contract so he's under contract mm-hmm. through 23 obviously that release would come with a financial financial penalty that presumably would be paid by Alpine that Alpine would pay to get him out of that contract so he can join them and I think at the same time Alpine is probably uh confident that the contract recognition board is going to side with them and McLaren will pay them a penalty for taking on Piastri. So they'll be able to pay for for that penalty by the rewards from another penalty. But I think that that opportunity <laughs> has kind of evaporated. And Tim said something that that really resonated with me. And, you know, Daniel Ricciardo earlier this week was asked about whether he wanted to or would be open to going to Indy. And he indicated, mm-hmm. and Zach Brown has also indicated, that McLaren had offered him a drive in 2023 with the McLaren Indy team, which is the benefit of a Formula One team owning an Indy team. And he said, you know what, right now, he's like, I've got eyes for Formula One. And that's that's where I think I should be. But I also wonder that if the Alpine opportunity disappears, is he mm-hmm. going to go to Williams or Haas? And would those teams necessarily want him or would they be better served getting a pay driver? And I'm not a fan of the pay driver concept. Or would they be better off just picking up one of these talented rookies that's kind of sitting on the periphery of Formula One and haven't had their opportunity to join a big team? But as every day passes, I think the window or the likelihood of him returning to Formula One next year diminishes. And you know, yep, Tim and yep. I talked a little bit about, does he take a sabbatical for 2023, but the risk, especially at his age, because remember he joined formula one in 2011, he's like 11, 12 yep. years deep into his journey. You sit out and you come back and now you're almost on the wrong side of 35. What's to say that all of these seats that are vacated this season aren't filled with talented youngsters that demonstrate they exactly. should be in formula one. And I think it's really, really risky for him. But at the same time, it's risky for him to sign up with Williams or Haas, knowing that they're going to have an under performing car next year 
you know, I, I can't help but think when he made that uh, shock announcement four years ago to leave Red Bull and then uh, join up at uh, Renault, which was uh, Alpine's uh, name uh, prior to uh, the, you know, was it last year, was it just, the, the more I look at it and sort of reflect back on that decision, just to, to me, the, the worse that it looks. Because to me, it was it was a backward step. It wasn't even a sideward step. And it was almost like... He didn't like being in the same team as as Max Verstappen. Probably felt that he could be a number one driver somewhere else, and that was you know he was going to get that opportunity with Alpine. But at the same time, it was almost like this, this sort of side journey that he was having. That was almost like, well, I'll just kind of park it here for a couple of years until I get an opportunity with like one of the big teams and kind of work my way back in. And his career's kind of dwindled since. I mean, he's had a couple of podiums here and there for Alpine and the uh, McLaren. And of course, he won the the Italian Grand Prix, which was a, a phenomenal moment for him, of course. But the thing was, I mean, had he stayed with 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 Red Bull, the the, the opportunities to win races still would have been there. You know, last year maybe they won that constructors championship because I'm not going to take anything away from Checo, especially this year. Checo's been such a good driver for them, but I mean, it took him you know at least two thirds of a season in 2021 to really get comfortable with that Red Bull. And um, you know, Ricardo, I think, really could have contributed to to Red Bull a lot more in twenty eight or sorry, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, twenty twenty one. But he had other things, and obviously didn't want to play second fiddle to to Max Verstappen, and just probably didn't like the idea that that whole team was going to be built around him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess this story may still have a little bit of legs to it. And then I guess we can really kind of pass judgment when his career in formula one finally comes to an end. But I kind of feel that I, and I don't want to use the word burn bridges, but yeah, I I mean, I do all the time when it comes to Fernando, because, you know, he literally has burned bridges with every team that he's ever been with. But I think that that, that Ricardo has kind of almost, painted himself into a corner of almost irrelevance you know it's just like it hasn't worked for him you know he kind of uh, you know made you know he had the excuse for a while that you know the alpine wasn't a great car or the first year he was getting used to a new car a new team the second year wasn't such a great car then he goes to mclaren and then you know those sort of like same reasons and excuses get recycled again and and here we are four years later and he hasn't really gone anywhere except uh, you know a couple of good races here and there in the uh, the interjecting couple of years, so who knows? Bit of a be a bit disappointing because I think he had a lot of potential to do a lot more with Red Bull had he stayed there. Yeah, I completely agree. Do you mind if we talk a little bit about Pierre Gasly, or should we take a break first? Let's take a break because this is a real juicy topic that I love talking about. So we'll park it here for a moment. Have a quick message from our sponsors, and we'll be back in just a moment. So don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Welcome back. You are, in fact, listening to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One with the Marks, Mr. Daly, Mr. Hamilton. You can figure out which one is which. <laughs> I'll say I'm, <laughs> you know, I'd say I'm the, I'm the, I'm the lesser of the two Marks, but then I guess that's a, an excuse or a boast. I'm the better of the two Marks that uh, both of us could make either way, depending on how we feel each time we get it, you know, we come into the studio. But anyways, awkward and bad humor notwithstanding, you wanted to talk about Pierre Gasly and drill down on this a little bit more because I think he is an interesting driver to look at and I think it's an interesting topic, a subject to look at a little bit deeper. Yeah, and I'll just wrap up a couple of thoughts on Daniel Ricciardo first is I love Daniel and I think it's easy to be sympathetic towards him, but he's also had a season and a half in a car that's not a terrible package, especially last year's McLaren was not a terrible package and he has simply been outperformed week in and week out by his teammates. So while I'm sympathetic to him, I, I wouldn't be sorry to see him lose Formula One. He's had every opportunity to be successful at that team. And I have to believe that Zach and Andreas have done everything and thrown every resource at that situation to make it successful. Now, the Pierre Gasly situation, and you and I have talked about this for some time, really going even back to 2019 when he had that really unfortunate mid-season switch with with uh, the sister team. And for those of you that don't know, he started in 2017. He had a couple of races in the back half of the season with Scuderia Toro Rosso, now Alpha Tauri. He did the entire 2018 campaign with Toro Rosso. He finished 15th. 2019, he got the big promotion to Red Bull. And I'll be honest, like if you go to Wikipedia and you look at his results in the first half of that season, they're not terrible. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not great, but they're not terrible. He was consistently in the points. He had a bunch of top five finishes. It wasn't awful. But by mid-season, the speculation and the rumors were just rampant that he was going to get replaced. And at the time, he was quoted as saying that, look, Helmet and Christian sat me down at the beginning of the summer break and promised me there wasn't going to be a mid-season switch. And then it was announced in the media shortly thereafter that he was getting swapped. So he got bumped mm-hmm. back to the, the the B team. He got bounced back to Toro Rosso. And of course, Alex Albon got the promotion, which ultimately didn't work out at all and resulted in him missing an entire season of Formula One. But for the past three seasons, 2020, 21, and 22, he's been with Alpha Tower. Back in 2020, he had a really strong performance. He finished 10th, had that win in Monza. Last year, he finished 9th, actually improved on his results, was consistently in the points and had another podium. This year, the results haven't been great. It could be the car, it could be the package, it could be a lot of things. But he's definitely demonstrated some real consistency with that Alpha Tauri car over the last three years. But the reality is, all of us know he's never going to get that call back to Red Bull. Sergio's locked yeah. in for a couple of years. Max isn't going anywhere. And there's no reason to think that even if Sergio exited that situation, that Pierre is going to get that call up. So he's now locked into a situation with a team that's never going to be able to contend for a title because they're always going to be handicapped by the fact that they function as a B team. So when the Alpine situation became somewhat available or became very available after the Oscar Piastri 
fiasco or catastrophe, it, it became a compelling conversation because one, he's a French driver and Alpine Renault is a proudly French team, even though they're based in Enstone in the UK, but most Formula One teams are because that's where the supply chains are. It just became a sexy, compelling story, especially when you could potentially partner him with another French driver who has also won a race in the la- next mm-hmm. last couple of years in, in Esteban Ocon. So it's this really cool situation where the sole French team, the sole French power supplier, French or French power unit supplier could have two French drivers. And it's, it's, it could be a really great break for Pierre Gasly, because like I said, he's never going to be contending for wins consistently with that team. Alpine seems to be in a really great place this year with that car. It's very quick. It's aerodynamically very efficient. Like this could be a really good move for him. I think the question is one, what is the buyout going to be? And I think if it's something manageable, five to $10 million, I think Alpine would bite at that. And I think Marco would be happy to send him on his way. And then the question becomes who replaces him next year. I think the, the bigger question is, uh, Esteban and Pierre don't necessarily get along. There isn't a great relationship there. So that's something that the stewards at Alpine and Otmar would have to work at because the last thing you want is friction between your two drivers in the garage next year. Well, I mean, the the answer to that one is simple. That's another lock-in at the factory for a pizza and movie nights <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> what Formula One team <laughs> are you like, running? Yeah, well, the, the the one that obviously wherever he gets along and everybody's good buddies, of it. course. I love but, it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know, that, that would be the one thing is that, well, I mean... It seems kind of funny to, to suggest that they wouldn't want to upset the, the 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 chemistry or the atmosphere that they have right with the right now with Fernando and, and Esteban point. because That's I don't necessarily point. think that anywhere that Fernando goes necessarily has the greatest atmosphere considering the you know his track record in the past and we we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we did that really cool uh, book club uh, events with right. uh, with Bird and we talked about uh, you know that uh, 2008 season and the the, the tension. Between between Fernando and Lewis and just all the drama that went on at M- McLaren there but I would I would have to hope that that you know if this does happen and they get Pierre and they get Esteban in the same team that these would be issues that could be overcome it's I like look so. you guys are both pros we're here this is the project we're trying to work towards it's a, u- a unique s- a situation like you so correctly pointed out this is a French uh, car manufacturer with a French power unit, two French drivers. Not that they've necessarily gone and tried to do that, but that's kind of the way that the cards have fallen. So, I mean, maybe that's something you try to play to. I mean, it's not the you know the you know, the most important focus in the world, but it's something you know should they be able to pull it off and have some success. Obviously, that would be very noteworthy, especially uh, in, in France, of course. But. I, I just can't help but think that Pierre is a little bit stifled where he is. I at, agree. Uh, I think that's a great in, way of putting it. Yeah. It, it's just like he needs to be able to get out and flourish and, and and see what he can do outside of that system. Because, you know, when he got promoted to Red Bull, it was like it almost got off to the very worst possible start because they go to Barcelona in February for the winter testing. <clears throat> And they have a limited number of parts, limited amount of testing, and then he puts it into the into the tire wall. He destroys whatever, and then so you know, it kind of limits the track time that Max has with the different parts and stuff that he was going to try on the car. So it doesn't really ruin their testing session, but it kind of sets them back a little ways. It's it's just more that he ends up with a lot of egg on his face, and it wasn't a a really 
auspicious start to that Red Bull campaign. And like you say, it, it's funny because if you look at his record when he was there, it, it really wasn't that bad. And, you know, Est- or sorry, not Esteban, but uh, Alex Albon really didn't outshine him by that much more when he took that seat. And like you say, that that he didn't stick there long term either. And then, you know, you just had like that, that, that rotating door that you had for that second seat at Red Bull. Look at them now, now that they've got, you know, Checo Perez in there. He's been there for a season and a half. He's been comfortable in that car for about a year now. And, and look how well he's done once he got uh, settled in. And I think that's what they were looking for all that time after Ricardo left at the end of 2018. It's just that they decided to go for youth and kind of promote internally, which makes sense because that's what the whole Alpha Tauri slash Toro Rosso team was for is this development feeder team. It just, um, I think that they kind of promoted some of these guys almost because of necessity and just the way that the situation was at the time. And that was uh, before they were, were, were ready and to the detriment of both uh, Pierre Gasly, also to Alex Albon, who then you also rightly pointed out lost a season of F1 last year, sitting on the sidelines, and you know then you know made the bold move himself to get out of that Red Bull system. And I, I think he's in a good place with Williams. Obviously, they're not a championship uh, contender, but I mean he had a pretty darn good race in in Belgium last weekend. And so it's it's kind of interesting to see how these guys do once they they get out of it. And let's not forget uh, about Danny Kvyat. I mean, he got uh, promoted and demoted and kicked off of the team, and then just to the due to the fact that they didn't have enough drivers within their own system for which they built this team, Toro Rosso or AlphaTauri, whatever you want to call them. They didn't have enough uh, drivers in their own system with super license points, and then they had to go, kind of almost go crawling back to to Danny Kvyat, who at this point was a, uh, a simulator <laughs> driver for um, a test driver for Ferrari to give him some time back in the car. And then, you know, Yuki comes along and then it's, you know, Sayonara Danny Kvyat. And then, but I mean, the, the point is it's been a little bit of a mess and the whole development program hasn't really quite worked out the way that they wanted. And, you know, part of it's like I say, a situational, but I think also part of it is just bad internal planning on their own behalf. I would be negligent if I didn't at this moment also mention that it is an absolute abomination that in 2022, you can have a B team and own a B team on the grid in a world where there's, and I don't want to go too deep into this because I bring it up all the time, but there are 10 Formula One teams in the world. Every one of them should be required to spend to the cap and do everything in their power to win a world championship. You cannot have one of the teams on the grid that functions as nothing more than a development mechanism or development platform for another team. So hopefully, hopefully, and I don't know that this is an FIA thing, but Liberty needs to crack down on that. I was going to say, let's put it into terms that most people can understand. Having Toro Rosso for Red Bull is like having the Blue Jays AAA affiliate also playing in Major League Baseball. It's just like, you know what? Somebody is a conditioning stint. Let's go send them out to the AL West because, you know, we've got like... we play um, 30 times a year. (laughs) You know, when you put it in that kind of context, it almost sounds Well, uh, I think the perfect analogy would be the San Francisco Giants buy the Oakland Athletics and make them their farm team. You you (laughs) literally compete against them. Precisely. They compete against everyone else. And everyone knows, well, this team is specifically engineered to not win championships. They're only to feed another team. But of course, in baseball, you have 30 teams. So it would be kind of less impactful. But in Formula One, you have 10 teams. It's so frustrating, man. 
it, it's it's funny, but when we put it in that sort of context, it's it's almost comical. Yeah, you know, it's, it just it, it sounds so ridiculous. I I, I could I, you know, almost kind of feel like I'm going to burst out laughing here. Okay, so we meant to take like literally five or ten minutes to kind of like go over some of the stories that uh, were breaking before the summer break. Here we are. Dude, know, we haven't even talked about Mick Schumacher yet. I know. Well, we kind of hinted at it. So, okay. you know, what I'm going to do is we were going to talk about fantasy. We were going to talk about like a championship update. Okay, we'll do the championship update really, really quick. Max Verstappen's going to win the championship for the driver's side. Red Bull's going to win the constructor side. They're miles ahead in both of them. That's all you need to know. Let's talk about Mick Schumacher because we talked about it before the break. He's severing ties with the Ferrari at the end of the year. He's going to effectively be a Formula One uh, dr- uh free agents when it comes to the the driver's market is there still room for him in in formula one well that that's a great question i mean a, again like you said that there are opportunities for teams to get some of like these young talented drivers and put them into these teams like when you maybe weigh it up against a, a driver like danny ricardo who's won a handful of grand prix he's been in the sport for over a decade he's you know a proven driver but again there's you know an asterisk there because as we talked about at length in the previous segment, he's struggled quite a bit to find his form over the past three and a half years. But you know, on the flip side to that, has Mick really distinguished himself? Has he made a case for himself to really have a team like say like Alpine or any of these other teams that might be in the market for a driver at the end of the year, like maybe Williams? I mean, I mean there's no guarantee that uh, Nick Latifi will be back uh, next year, and that's something that we've uh, talked about a couple of times uh, throughout the year so far. I mean, Nicky saying that performance will really judge or determine whether or not he'll be back in 2023. I'm 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 leaning more towards not than he will be at this point. Just he hasn't really had a really solid campaign uh, this year for, you know, a number of uh, different reasons. But again, I mean, if Mick doesn't stick with, uh, with Haas, I mean, it sounds like uh, they're going to pick up uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, who's a pretty decent formula one driver. I mean, he kind of lost out last year with, uh, at, uh, at Alfa Romeo, obviously, they they changed a bunch of things there, and they, they had a, a brand new driver lineup this year, Valtteri Bottas and Joe Guan Yu. So where do you think that uh, that Mick could land? Would he want to, you know, perhaps dip his toes in the uh, the Red Bull Alpha Tauri pool and get into that system? Would that be any better than being in the Ferrari system? Or is he at the stage of his career that he's developed enough and just needs to you know, get more experience rather than being developed further. I, I don't know. I to to be quite honest, Mark, I, I'm I'm a little bit on the fence about Mick Schumacher. Yeah, so am I. This and this is sound this must sound like terrible podcasting because I'm trying to collect my thoughts as I, as I'm speaking here. But Mick came into Formula One last year after winning the Formula Two championship in 2020, a pretty dominant performance. He finished with 215 points and a couple of race wins. 2019, which is his first year in Formula Two, wasn't so great, although he did manage to secure one race victory. Last year to me, 2021 with Haas should be considered a total non-event, a total write-off. That car was absolute crap. The team was crap. The leadership was garbage. And the team was being funded and underwritten by a 
freaking Russian oligarch whose son was sitting next to sitting next to Mick every single weekend. That whole team was abomination. And the only reason that Mick was put in that situation is because he was signed by Ferrari as an academy driver in 2019. He seemed to have significant upside. He kind of reassured everybody of that in 2020 when he took the F2 title. He got his 40 points. He's got his super license and he stepped into Formula One. But that was an awful awful, toxic, destructive environment for him to be in. And of course, obviously the oligarch ties were severed shortly before the season began and Mazapan was on his merry way and the team brought in Kevin Magnuson. And I thought the Kevin Magnuson mm-hmm. edition was a really good one because for the first time in his Formula One career, he would have a really competent driver sitting next to him. He could have data to look at, telemetry to look at, and those driver debriefs could be really meaningful because he'd have somebody that he could start learning from. The campaign hasn't been good. He scored points and obviously in Austria, he scored a couple of points in Great Britain, but the campaign hasn't been great. But having said that, despite a pretty good start by Magnuson, Magnuson hasn't had a great start either. He scored 22 points. He's not lighting the world on fire. So I, I just, I feel like their, their patience for him is remarkably thin given his his heritage and the marketing upside that he could deliver. Obviously, you know, this time last year we were talking about how quickly he could find his way in to Marinello and be driving a Ferrari car and now we're talking about a situation which some are reporting is the Ferrari, the Scuderia severing ties with him and others saying he's requesting an out and he wants to become a free agent because he feels locked mm-hmm. and trapped in that Haas situation. We don't really know the truth right now, but he's one of those drivers that I actually feel a little bit bad for. Honestly, I love Nikki, but if he doesn't have a seat next year, I don't feel bad for him. That's on him because of his performance this year and last year and the year before that. With with Mick, I really <laughs> feel like he had one shot because last year was such an abomination and I don't think that was his fault. I think it's, it's just really tough luck. Now, in terms of where he could go, certainly not going to be Red Bull. I, maybe it's Williams, but if Williams dumps Nick who's a pay driver uh what value do they do they get out of out of mick because he's not necessarily a better driver than nikki is at this stage and he's not going to bring a ton of funding because at least nikki's bringing the 40 million dollars a year or whatever it's reported to be so i don't know because and we'll get into this in a couple of minutes i think i think red bull have their eyes set on colton herda if they can figure out that super yep. license situation i just i don't know where 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 mick goes next year if if not haas what about you well, let's let's just put a little bit of a twist on this, right? I mean, okay, a pay driver in Formula One now in this cost cap era is not as, let's say, attractive Necessary. for one of these smaller totally teams as totally it was in the it. past, right? But having said that, you know, maybe Nikki brings, say, this forty million or whatever it is. Do you not think that if you're somebody like a, like a big corporation or a wealthy sponsor and you're German, you want to see a German driver succeeding in Formula One, especially one with the name Schumacher, would you not be at least wanting to consider that? I, I should think that if you were Mick Schumacher and you wanted to stay in Formula One and the one team you were looking at was saying, well, you know, we're thinking about this and that, you know, it would really help. It's not be the end of the world or necessarily a deal breaker. But if you could bring something to sweeten the pot a little bit, that that certainly wouldn't hurt your case uh, when it comes down to decision making time. And I, I would have to think that there's got to be forty or fifty million dollars floating around in sponsorship money in Germany 
for a young driver with the name of Schumacher, especially the one who is the son of seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher. So I'm, I'm just going to put that out there for consideration. I mean, like I say, I don't know that that really makes a big difference in this day and age, but I mean, it still might to a certain degree for some of the smaller teams. But I certainly think when it comes to Red Bull, this Colton Herta story is interesting because, I mean, he, he he's a name that's kind of been linked to Formula One for, what, about six months now? I mean, every time you talk about the, the, the fact that there are no American drivers in Formula One and it would be great to see an American driver in Formula One the, the, just uh, due to the fact the way that uh, the sport's really uh, like exploding here and how it's becoming more popular all you know each and every year it's just kind of funny how like out of all the IndyCar drivers his is the name that's kind of like percolated to the top it's just like well if it's going to be any American drivers it's going to be Colton so it's kind of funny the way that that's kind of gone and I mean he's kind of sort of roundabout been linked to a couple of different uh, teams and everything like that but I think that the the link now to potentially the Red Bull organization is especially interesting because that wasn't necessarily one of my first picks to see where he might might actually end up uh, going <laughs> but i don't know mark uh, if that's something that uh, that that you have a little bit of like you know added thoughts on i think it's probably worth spending a couple minutes just kind of explaining the concept of of a super license because you and i we throw this uh, this term around all the time and it's probably not something yeah. that most of our listeners are super super familiar with but the fia super license is quote unquote a driver's qualification allowing the holder to compete in the formula one world championship and it's generally understood that the reason that the fia super license was introduced was to prevent a world where every driver on the formula one grid effectively bought their seat that if there was no yep. prior qualification necessary you could have billionaires that would literally pay their way into the championship so you have a bunch of unqualified 40-year-old billionaires driving around in these 1,000-horsepower supercars. So it was introduced many years ago. Now, there's a couple of qualifications to get a super license, what I'm going to quickly read off here. And I'm going to quote, to qualify for an FIA racing super license, an application or an applicant must meet the requirements of the FIA's international sporting code, um, which states the following, a minimum age of 18 at the start of their first F1 competition, Obviously, that's not something that's always been applied in the past or wasn't relevant as part of these requirements. An existing holder of an international grade A competition license, a holder of a valid driver's license, so a state-issued driver's license, passing an FIA theory test on the knowledge of F1 sporting codes and regulations when applying for the first time, completed at least 80% of each of two full seasons of any of the single-season championships reported in Supplement 1 of the regulations. And this is the key, because this is where it gets problematic for Colton Herta has accumulated at least 40 points over the previous three seasons and any combination of the championships reported in Supplement 1 of the regulations. Now, those championships can and do include Formula 2, Indy, Formula 3, Formula E, and a host of other championships. Now, the challenge is the points awarded within these championships are not equal. So listen to this. In Formula 2, if you finished first, second, or third in a single championship, you earn 40 super license points, which means you automatically qualify for Formula One. Automatically qualify for Formula One. Now, in Indy, if you win an Indy championship, you 
you you secure 40 points. So if you win an Indy championship, you can go straight to Formula One. However, if you finish second, you only get 30 points. And if you finish third, you only mm. get 20 points. Whereas in F Formula Two, you automatically qualify because you secure your 40 points. So the challenge here for Colton Herta is in 2020, he finished third. And again, this is a rolling. So you have to secure those 40 points in any successive three-year period. So if you look at 2020, he finished third in the championship at Indy. So he scores, what is it? Uh, let's take a look here. 20 points. The next year he finished fifth. So he finishes fifth. He scores 12 points. So that's a total of 32 points. So he's only eight points away from a super license. The problem is this year he's 10th in the championship and there's only three Mm. races left. It's virtually mathematically impossible for him to score enough super license points. So this is now where all the conversations are coming about. Well, the FIA isn't interpreting the results of IndyCar appropriately, that they should be equivalent to at least Formula 2, that those first three place finishers should get 40 points. So now there's this rallying cry in the world of motorsports to reevaluate the way that they um, assign points to IndyCar championship finishes because for more probably for the first time really since the early 90s late 90s we're really talking a lot about cross-pollination between Indy and Formula One and this hasn't yep. been an issue yep. before but it certainly is now so Colza might be a target of Red Bull but he's not going to score enough super license points to get his way in yeah, isn't that interesting? And it's funny just the way that that series has really rebounded in the last mm-hmm. uh, several years because I think uh, before that, you know, it would be legit to say, yeah, well, sure, they should get some points, but are they really equivalent to F2? Yeah, yeah probably not. But now I think that's that's obviously a legit conversation to be had that, you know, maybe there is something worth looking at to, to say, okay, well, you know, he these are his results in IndyCar over the past two, three seasons, but you're not weighting that series nearly highly enough. And so that's affecting him and any of these other drivers that potentially want to move to, to, to Formula One. And, and I get it. I'm not just uh, saying I'm not going to get up here because, you know, I'm some sort of Colton Herta fanboy. I'm just saying that, you know, the criteria should be it should be an equal playing field for everyone. And the thing is, like we talked about with Mazepin, right? You shouldn't just be able to get into Formula One because you kind of meet the bare st- the, the minimum standard and you come with like literally a dump truck full of like gold bullion that's going to, you know, basically t- keep a team running. You you need to deserve that spot. And, it, you know, the bar is set justifiably high. But, you know, having said that, it should be, you know, the 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 judging or the points in it should be weighted fairly. So for those that do have a legitimate uh, uh, opportunity to get into Formula One, aren't necessarily held back or handicapped just because one series maybe isn't given the I don't want to say respect. That's not the correct uh, word, but you know they're just not weighted equally or considered on equal terms as uh, other series in other parts of the world. Hey, let's take another quick break, Mark, and we come back. Still plenty of uh, great things uh, to talk about, and we'll figure that out. We'll have a quick chat here in the break, and we'll figure that out, and we'll come back in just a moment, so don't go away. We'll be back literally in the blink of an eye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to the show. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here breaking down all the latest news from Formula One here on the, well, the last few hours of Thursday, September 1st. Daly, yes, sir. Yes. Before I forget, I wanted to share this on the air. And we have our listeners, the community around the show, and I, I take yep. zero. I take zero ownership of helping to bring these people into the Formula One fold. They they found us. They support us. That's awesome. But their fandom is of their own making, and they deserve all the credit. I take no mm-hmm. credit for for our for our audience for our listeners. But when people do reach out um, and they send us lovely notes, I think both of us feel really good about it. And one of the things I always try oh, to 100%. do is that if somebody follows us on Twitter. I always follow that person back and send them a quick note. Like, hey, thank you so much for the follow because oftentimes it opens up a nice conversation. And the other day, uh, a lovely, lovely person named Emma followed us and I, I did my normal thing. Like, hey, thanks for the follow. And Emma responds with this. And I just thought this was lovely. She says, I am a huge fan. I'm newer to F1 and your podcast has been so helpful in getting a solid understanding of what's going on. I also love the Mark Mark banter. Scuderia F1 has really been my bridge to (laughs) F1 podcast and now I am hooked. I went from knowing nothing about F1 at the beginning of the year to consuming as much F1 media as I possibly can. I'm solidly obsessed at this point. Y'all's podcast has a special place in my heart as one of my early entry points into the sport. So Emma, just, just so you know, I, I know it only took you a couple of minutes to, to write that, but it means the world to both Mark and I, that we do this show. Sometimes it's a slog. Sometimes we get discouraged, but when we get lovely messages like that, we both brighten right up. So thank you so much. You should have warned me, dude. Uh, I think I'm about to have a, a bit of a moment here. So, you know, if, if I, I start tearing up, then uh, you'll you'll know why. But uh, no, joking aside, that that is awesome. Thank you so much for the support, Emma. And thank you for the note. And and, and thanks to to all of you who listen uh, and interact with us all the time, regardless if you this is your first episode or if you've been with us uh, for the, the, the long haul. It's just fun to sit down with you all each and every week and talk about uh, Formula One. Okay, let's talk now a little about uh, Nick Latifi. I hinted at it uh, before the break. Uh, Nicky's saying that uh, performance this year will decide his drive at uh, Williams uh, for, for next year. Like I said, I mean, I, I don't think that Mick Schumacher is ready to move up the, the, the Formula One ladder, but... You know, I could I could certainly see him doing kind of like a George Russell type apprenticeship at Williams. I think Williams is probably a bit of a better place than 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 Haas has been. I mean, I I know that they're at the bottom end of the table, but I, I think just organizationally they're just a little bit uh, more more stable. And again, I mean, if you know if it does come down to sponsorship, sponsorship, pardon me, bucks, that somebody somewhere would be willing to sponsor the the son of uh, michael schumacher at least i mean because he's still to me i think 
if he can stick in Formula One, I would think that it would be, you know, he's still a bit of a diamond in the rough for, like you said, like last year was a throwaway year in 2021. He had none of the supports around him that he really needed to succeed, to, to succeed and really make the most of that opportunity. This year's a little bit different. The team's a little bit more stable. He's got a good uh, teammate in uh, Kevin Magnuson. He's got uh, 12 points under his belt uh, so far. So, I mean, he's in a much better position now than he was a year ago. And then, I mean, if you just compare him to Nicky sort of like, you know, head to head, you know, one of the benefits that he he does have is is the fact that, you know, he's a little bit younger. You know, the, the thing is, what, what's Nicky now? Is he already 27 or getting close to it? I mean... I, I don't. It's and and I don't want to like say that like age is an issue for for Nikki, but I you know he's already had like a couple of cracks at it over the past couple of years. I know it's going to be a little bit more difficult with a team like Williams compared to say some of the other teams, you know, especially some of the midfield teams, which you know I think Williams is obviously aspiring to be, but. You know, I, I just can't help that feel that he's had that uh, that opportunity, and if it's still not quite working for him, you know, are you really going to want to sink another year or two into a guy that's already getting close to thirty when you have like this younger guy? You know, he won a Formula Two championship, and you know, maybe there's something that if we we can we can develop that and bring out uh, some of the potential that Mick Schumacher has. You know, it's it's an interesting thought exercise for us to go th- through. You have to think that if we're going through it, that uh, you know perhaps somebody else somewhere in Formula One that actually has an important place in Formula One is having the same uh, you know thought process. Look, I don't think I need to. I don't think I need to stress how much I, I love Nicholas Latifi, and I know he's putting in the work, and I know he's putting in the hours. hundred oh, percent. I just yeah, I agree yeah, that at this point it would be a very, very hard sell, especially in the cost cap era, to bring him back for another championship. And last week, there was a story where Yas Capito had said, hey, look, we're open to bringing Nikki back next year if his performances improve in the back half of the calendar. And if you look at the back half of the calendar, it's nine races. And then the first lap of the first race after the summer break, you know, he he goes off the track and he makes contact with with Valtteri Bottas, and it's just one of those facepalm moments where it's just not going to get any better. And I wish and I hope that there's a flurry of points finishes in the back half of the season and there's reason to bring him back. But given the amount of talent on the outside of Formula One peering in right now, whether it's it's Palo or whether it's any of these young drivers that have been forced, Nick DeVries, that have been forced into Formula E, there's just so much talent. And, And at a certain point, you have to think, these guys also deserve a shot. And with Nikki, maybe maybe the comparison was always tough because he was going up in 2020 and 21 against, against George Russell, who is an incredible talent. And maybe you could just never be as good as that talent, but you bring in Alex Albon this year, who is a different driver with a different skill set. And once again, you are being significantly out-competed by a guy who once lost his seat in Formula One and had to sit out a year. It's just, it would mm-hmm. be an incredibly tough sell. And you make a really good point about the relevance of, of a pay driver in, in this cost cap era that, you know what, when teams are spending $500 million a year to develop their race team and you're a smaller team trying to compete, every dollar counted and you would bank on that 30, 40, $50 million of pay driver money. But today you just don't need it. You're better off signing a more established driver that's going to be able to score you constructors points because that prize money is worth more than that sponsorship money. So I just, 
I think it's going to be a really hard sell to see Nikki back next year. And I'm going to enjoy the last few races. I hope he gets into the points this year so he doesn't have a pointless campaign. But I just, I don't see him back. I don't see him back next year. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, uh, I do too. And I mean, as anybody that's listened to this show for any length of time knows that uh, we're always homers when it comes to the the, the North American drivers. And, and, you know, it's just the way that we, we roll. It would be nice to see more presence of uh, North Americans, uh, you know, on the track and off the track in Formula One. But um, yeah, I, I certainly have my doubts uh, as to whether Nick Latifi will be back in that car next year. Okay, um, we're going to take a bit of a sidestep now because uh, this is, uh, you know, we, we're always talking with, uh, you know, about other series as well. We've done quite a bit uh, covering the W series and talking with drivers and other personalities in that series as well. And this one is interesting because uh, Jamie Chadwick has absolutely dominated that uh, series for the last couple of years. And she's going to have the opportunity to test with one of the, the Indy Lights uh, team uh, in within the next couple of weeks. Mark, I think you've got a little bit more information on this one. Nope. Or no. I'm, jo- no. <laughs> you don't, I- I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> so the Jamie Chadwick story is one that I find really, really fascinating. And the W yep. series is unusual for what should be a feeder series. And by that, I mean, if you win the F3 championship, you don't get to go back in F3. You, you're forced into Formula 2. And if you win the Formula 2 championship, you don't get to contend for that title again. You're forced out, which is what happened to Nick DeVries, right? Like he wins the title. There isn't a seat for him in Formula 1. He kind of floats around, ends up in, in Formula E, and he's effectively stuck there. Now, with Jamie, W Series is a little bit different because she won the championship in 2019 in resounding fashion. There was no 2020 championship because of the COVID pandemic. She comes back in 2021. She crushes the competition again. What's really problematic about the W Series is while it's designed to be a feeder series, doesn't really feed any other championship. And I think that's a mm-hmm. breakdown in the championship ladders, but it's also a it's also a comment on the lack of, I'm trying to think about the right term here. Put it this way. After having won two W Series championships, somebody should have stepped up with the funding to get her into an F3 seat. Maybe not an F2 seat, but to get her into the F3 championship. And it's absolutely appalling that that money didn't exist. She's a two-time W Series winner. It's appalling that somehow that couldn't happen. If she goes into the F3 Series and she isn't competitive, that's fine. She had the opportunity and other fantastic, other better female drivers are going to come along. There's no question about it. But it was shocking that she didn't get the opportunity. What we are going to see, and this is a really fascinating story, is you talk about a sidestep. We've always thought about Jamie Chadwick in the sense of the Formula One development ladder. W Series, F3, F2, Formula One. But maybe there's an opportunity for her in Indy. And we've seen other women compete in Indy, even in recent years. Obviously, Tatiana Calderon, who we'll speak about in a couple of minutes, Danica Patrick. We've seen women compete in that series and be successful. So Jamie is going to test in the Indy Light Series with Andretti as soon as next month, which is interesting because it could mm-hmm. open up a different development pathway for her. And as a British driver, it would be a neat transition, but it's also also good for her career because for her to continue dominating W Series does nothing for her personal development. She needs to get into a competitive series with other great drivers and she needs to be pushed to her limit to see what her true ceiling is. And that's not going to happen in the W Series. So this is cool. I'm open to it. And if, you know, Indy is her future and there's an opportunity there, that would be fantastic. And you know what? 
I forgot to put this on the story for tonight when I was building the outline, Mm -hmm. but uh, Tatiana Calderon, who of course was kind enough to join us during the summer, we had a great conversation shortly after she actually lost her indie seat. She has been given or she has found her way into a Formula 2 seat. So she will be competing in Formula 2 as soon as, oh my gosh, almost in the immediate future. So it's fantastic. She went from losing her indie seat, which was being underfunded by Rocket. She's back in Formula 2, which of course is the feeder series into Formula 1, which is ultimately her ultimate goal. So very, very, very cool that Tatiana is going to have a second shot at Formula 2 as well. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to add uh, another point uh, or build on a point that you were making about Jamie Chadwick. As much as it doesn't serve her to keep uh, racing in the W Series if she keeps running away with it, ultimately, it doesn't in the long term, does it, it doesn't really help the W Series either. Sure, there's great that there's name recognition, yes, but yes, you know, yes. if, if, if it's just that name recognition is, oh yeah, Jamie Chadwick just blows everyone away each and every year, then it kind of gives them a bit of a perception problem because it's like just Jamie Chadwick and a bunch of other drivers that can't match her in terms of pace and, and, and compete for, for wins and championships. So at some point she outgrows that series and then somebody else filters in and then you know, somebody else potentially could be Jamie Chadwick, or perhaps you get a couple of drivers fighting for the championship. So there's uh, that flip side to, to it as well. So Great point. I mean, totally like you agree. say, I mean, yeah, you, you know, you really pulled out some good names like uh, Tatiana Calderon and Danica Patrick to, to name uh, but a few. I mean, why not now? Like, why should there be like this end of the development ladder for, for female drivers? I mean, the thing is, I mean, Formula One, if it's not supposed to be the top motorsports series in the entire world then 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 what is it i mean if it's only limited to select people based on like the certain criteria then is it really the best show of drivers and talents then you know probably it is and so hopefully that 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 development funnel can keep working and you know hopefully we could see somebody like jamie into formula one because i mean it's different right i mean there's obviously different physical attributes between men and women right but i mean like take for example like um uh professional road cycling or elite road cycling. I mean, you have Jumbo Visma. They're a very, very elite team. You got Jonas Vengegaard. He just won the Tour de France. And then Mariana Voss, she's a Dutch cyclist. She's like one of, you can make the argument that she's one of the best cyclists, male or female of all time, right? But if you put them on the same roads and like the, 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 the Tour de France femme, it only goes for eight days compared to 21 stages for the men. I mean, over that, that, that same time frame, I mean, you would think that probably Jonas Vengegaard is probably going to come out on top. I mean, she will hang with him for a long time, but I mean, there, there's just some sort of, I, I don't know how it would play out, but I think that when it comes to like motorsport, I think a lot of those differences are sort of taken away because you don't, you know, you don't need, I mean, you need strength in different ways, but I mean, we've seen female drivers succeed in motorsports. So I just don't like the, the, the fact that, you know, that they're, you know, drivers, female drivers could be prevented from going into it because, okay, sure. Like the, 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 the women's tour and the men's tour is different, but the thing is, I don't really care that one's for men, one's for women. They're all the best cyclists in each race. And I just want to see the best cyclists, or in this case, the best formula one drivers. And to me, it should be 
a pool open to a lot more people. That's that's basically what I'm awkwardly trying to get around to, to say. Yeah, when I was talking to Hamda Al-Kobesi a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were talking about her training regimen, she made a really great point that one of the things that she has to focus on that maybe some of her competitors don't is, is strength training. So, you know, in Formula One, mm-hmm. every driver has to work on certain things. And I think for a lot of female drivers, to your point, they work on strength driving or st- strength training. And, and that's one of the things or the attributes that they work and they develop. And to me, I ultimately think that eventually we'll get to a point where women and men will compete in all of the highest levels of, of motorsport. And I, I think I think physical characteristics are far less relevant in motorsports than they are anywhere else. That I think that mm-hmm. I think that men and women can develop with the right training and the right coaching and the right development track. They can all develop equally to compete at the highest levels of motorsport. I think the disadvantage for women today is one, there's simply way more males getting into motorsport historically. You know, we talk about like one in a million people crack it, crack in, make it into formula one. But if 999,000 of those are are men and only a thousand of them are women. It just makes the likelihood that that woman is going to break into formula one that much more difficult. And I think what we're going to see with drive to survive is, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm positive that all of the karting tracks across North America right now are booming. I bet you anything. Those cart manufacturers can't pump out enough carts because parents are getting their kids, boys and girls into motorsports at mm-hmm. an unprecedented level. So people keep asking like, when are we going to see a woman in, in formula one? It's going to happen. And it's a hundred percent going to happen in our lifetime. I just think she's probably competing in karting right now. I think she's probably five to 10 years out, but it's only a matter of time. And I think mm-hmm. once that floodgate opens, I think we're going to see a lot of women Women compete and be successful. But I think right now there's historically been a stigma against women competing in motorsports. And I give all the credit in the world to women that have been successful, like Megan Gilks and Hamda and Omna and Amber Balkin and Danica Patrick, because they have to overcome stigmas and they have to be able to compete in an in infrastructure that is engineered for men. So they, as they go on the fly, they have to re-engineer the infrastructure to, to work for them. And, and I think as we go, uh, gender will be de-emphasized and we'll find a way to accommodate men and women. And I think we're going to see some extremely successful women in all motorsports, NASCAR and Indy mm-hmm. and, and Formula One. And Indy Light Series has made real efforts at improving diversity, both in terms of of gender um, and in terms of culture and and all those different factors. And NASCAR as well has gone above and beyond the past couple of years to broaden the appeal of that sport. And they're doing so much to put women at the forefront of that championship and minorities as well, underrepresented groups. So I think all of these things are cool and they'll ultimately help take away that stigma about getting a young girl involved in karting when she's her six or seven, because I think the perception historically been that karting is a boy sport and that shouldn't be, and that can't be. And should never be the case, but I think there, the first woman Formula One driver is out there and she'll be here soon. I just think she's probably competing in karting right now and she's going to have advantages and she's going to have uh, benefits and opportunities because of all these women that trailblaze before her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take uh, one final break, couple more news stories to get to, and then we're going to talk about the Dutch Grand Prix at yes. Zandvoort, which gets underway, at least uh, with um, free pa- practice at about five hours from now, at least at the, the time. 
we're sitting down here in the studio to record this podcast. So just a quick breather and we'll be back in just a moment. So go refill your beverage, go have a quick stretch and we'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, one more segment on this week's show. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton here talking about all the latest Formula One news and some other stuff, you know, whatever, what, whatever we deem show worthy or whatever just kind of comes out in one of our infamous uh, tangents. Okay. Speaking of which, uh, Red Bull has signed a Max Verstappen endorsed sim driving star for an F1 role. And uh, this is the world's fastest gamer. And that is his name is Randy Van Buren. And he's uh, joining Red Bull as a Formula One sim test and development driver. And uh, he previously worked with the McLaren F1 uh, team and uh, Mahindra and Formula E. And Ari has a strong and uh, good relationship with uh, Max Verstappen. Uh, that's because they raced alongside each other as part of Team Redline, which which is a highly successful esports team. So Van Buren got his big break back in 2017, winning the inaugural running of the world's fastest gamer from a pool of, get this, over 30,000 contestants. That got him a place with McLaren for 2018 as one of its official sim drivers. And then uh, shortly after that, he and Max Verstappen began uh, competing against one another, and uh, they won together in a prominent sim racing competition or two. So that's uh, very, very cool. Uh, uh, they finished uh, together or second in the GTE category in the 2019 iRacing Petit Le Mans. And then later in the year, they were leading the R-Factor 2, 24-hour of Le Mans, before technical issues ended their race. So I don't know. I can make a bunch of bad jokes about what technical issues could be in uh, you know sim racing. But uh, I would assume it had to do with like a, a simulated mechanical issue on the uh with their car rather than you know their xbox caught on fire or, or the power went out or something like that but hey maybe that's just uh, my my bad uh, sense of humor so that's a uh, kind of a cool one anyways uh, had to say quote i've had many sim racing moments with him that's uh, max over the years with team redline i remember one of the first races we did together he said that he was more nervous in the sim than he was in the real thing one of the first races he did was with R Factor 2 with an LMP2 around Silverstone, and we won that race, end quote. So kind of a, a cool story. So for you, if you're a gamer out there and you're good at, uh, you know, stuff like that, uh, you know, you can, like uh, Rudy Van Buren, you can uh, parlay that into a very cool career. Okay, so, um, oh, this is kind of an interesting one. Just want to talk to this one a little bit before we talk about the uh, the Dutch Grand Prix that's uh, coming up. So uh, James Vole, who is uh, the Motorsport uh, Strategy Director at uh, Mercedes, revealed that uh, the forces that were measured on Lewis Hamilton's car after his tangle with Fernando Alonso at Spa last weekend measured in excess of 45 Gs, so 45 times the uh, normal amount of gravity. And that was uh, recorded on his SDR recorder in the car, which is a very big on vertical load. Um, anyways, Lewis, he didn't actually go to the medical check uh, because I believe that that impact uh, triggered some sort of warning. He was supposed to go get checked out. He didn't. He got warned uh, for that. But it was kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't really appreciate at the time that 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 impact was as heavy and as violent as the equipment actually recorded it as uh, hammy what do you think yeah it was my my reaction as well it looked bad and to be fair though i actually thought he was going to be able to continue the race because he managed to continue with quite a bit of pace for at least half a lap before starting to fall off but i certainly did not appreciate that the impact was uh 
was so significant. I did, and this is going on a bit of a tangent, but I did get such a kick of how that whole situation played out subsequently that Alonzo got on the radio. He had some very heated comments. Hamilton addressed them after the race, and then Alonzo addressed Hamilton's comments. And then there was a photo of a signed Lewis Hamilton cap floating around the internet with a piece of masking tape on it that had written on it for Alonzo. And it was very cute that there was allegedly this gesture that Hamilton was going to give Alonzo a signed hat as a gesture of goodwill will after that contact and after coming together. And then earlier today, there was actually a photo from the Mercedes garage where Fernando actually went to collect the cap from, from, from Lewis. So <laughs> there's no hard feelings. And, and, and Alonso ultimately subsequently uh, apologized for those harsh comments that he made about Lewis on the radio and basically said, look, you know what? The only reason that this didn't happen more often, I'm paraphrasing is because he was always at the front because of the car he had. But it was nice to see the two of them laughing and smiling in the garage and, and <laughs> Fernando taking ownership of the signed Lewis Hamilton cap. I thought that was super, <laughs> super cute. But yeah, I agree. I did not, I did not appreciate the significance of the impact when those two cars came together. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's what it takes to get like a signed Lewis Hamilton cap, obviously we've been doing things wrong because we've been, you know, quite kind to Lewis over the years. So maybe, you know, we should be, uh, you know, be a little bit ruder. Perhaps we'll get invited to the Mercedes garage to get some signed Lewis merch, but (laughs) probably not. Uh, Anyways, let's uh, talk now about uh, the the Dutch Grand Prix that uh, will be going on at uh, Zandvoort again uh, this weekend. So it's the second uh, Dutch Grand Prix um, in recent times. Last year was the first one since 19, what was it, 83 or 84? So a very, very long time. Last year, Max Verstappen won, Lewis Hamilton second, Valtteri Bottas was third. They had Pierre Gasly, Charles Leclerc, Fernando, Carlos, Sainz, Sergio Perez, Esteban Ocon, and Lando Norris rounding out the top 10. Qualifying was, well, I mean, if you look at the the final race classification, it's all basically where they started is where they finished. Uh, Max was on pole, Lewis was second, Valtteri was third, Gasly was fourth, Charles was fifth, Carlos Sainz was sixth. Antonio Giovinazzi was seventh, Esteban, Ocon, Fernando, and Danny Ricardo. They rounded out to the, the top 10. So Sanford, I mean, it's uh, located in the, the sand dunes on the, uh, on the Dutch uh, coast. It is a 4.259 kilometer, 2.65 mile long circuit, 72 laps, a total race distance of 306.59 kilometers, or 190 and a half miles long. Last year, we had 195,000 people in attendance. Fastest lap was set last year by Lewis Hamilton. It was a 111.097, and Max's pole time was a 108.885. So, I mean, based on what we've seen this year, it seems, I, I mean, I, I mean, are you really going to want to bet against uh, Max Verstappen at, uh, at this time? I mean, it just seems that, uh, you know, would be a little bit uh, illogical, but I mean, Zandvoort is an interesting track, right? Because, I mean, it is very kind of tight. Uh, you know, you go into start-finish, you have that really long straight, then you go into, uh, what do they call it, the Tarzanbacht uh, in turn uh, one, the Tarzan corner, and then the circuit really weaves around, turns back in on itself until you come into turn 13, and then you get into that really cool reprofiled bank cornering, which they put in for, for last year, which is now going to be trialed as a DRS zone, which I think is going to be really, really cool. But 
the thing is, I mean, it's a fairly short lap again. It's it's about the same length of a lap that we see at the uh, at the Red Bull Ring in Austria within a couple of seconds. I mean, the point is, it's one of the shorter tracks on the uh, on the Formula One uh, calendar, and you know there aren't really too many opportunities uh, for 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 overtaking. So, Hammy, what are some of the things you're going to be looking for this weekend? One, I, I just want to add that. It's remarkable that this race is on the calendar, and I think we all need to recognize uh, Max Verstappen for helping make this happen. Right, like this is this is the race that is in his his home country, and the two hundred thousand people that poured out last year were there specifically to see him and to see him win. And when he did, I love the track, I love the location, and I don't know how much you and I have talked about it, but this summer I have become an absolute sim. Attic. I, I am obsessed with Sims mm-hmm. and I want to build one at home. But I have spent a ton of time oh, same here. in the Sim because I want to learn more about the tracks that we're going to. And, you know, it was obvious last year when you see it on TV, but you get a much greater appreciation for these tracks when you race them in iRacer or when you race them in Factor R or R Factor. I can never keep it straight. And a couple of things that is really interesting for me about this track is. It plays like a roller coaster. It is constantly, yep. constantly turning over on itself. There's a little bit of elevation. You've got that hugely reprofiled corner and turns 13, 14 coming into that main straight. But a couple of things that you need to be very careful of here is it's very easy to carry a lot of speed into the corners. And the key with this track mm-hmm. is just to find a key consistent flow because Formula One drivers, they want to carry as much speed as late into every corner as they possibly can. They find that breaking point and they break as deep into a corner as they possibly can. With the exception of turn one on this track, you do not want to do that anywhere because the challenge with this track is it's incredibly stressful and it's incredibly abrasive on tires. So what you don't want to do here is you don't want to break late on the corners because if you break late, it does a couple of things. It upsets the balance of the car's air which upsets the front tires, which puts additional load on the front tires. They get overheated and you actually lose grip in the corner. So what you want to do on this track is you actually want to break earlier than you typically would and you would carry less speed going into the corner but by the time you start turning in you can be full on that throttle to come out so you lose a lot of speed approaching a corner but you make up that speed coming out of a corner so it's all about finding a balance here because you want to keep the car you want to keep the arrow balanced you do not want to be upsetting the balance of the car by breaking hard into these corners because you're going to lose that speed on the exit but furthermore you're going to upset your arrow and you're going to chew up those front tires which are going to be eaten up on this course Mm -hmm. anyways, because the turns are so tight. Now, from a racing perspective, it's not a great track. It reminds me of of Hungary. And we actually had a really great race at Hungary this year. But if you watch that race, all of the overtaking happens in the first corner. And it's because they get that huge run down the main straight, which is exactly what I expect to see here. And I know what's going to happen. We're going to have Max. He's ultimately going to start hunting down all of the back markers. He'll follow them through turns 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And he'll eat them alive going into T1. And if anyone else is trying to make up Mm -hmm. the gap and 
find their way through the field, that's where they're going to do it because there's really no opportunity to overtake anyone else. The other thing that you should watch for this year is they've installed, and the FIA sanctioned this, an artificial tire, or not an artificial tire, an artificial sand trap at the exit on the outside of turn 12. So typically when a car would go off in T12, they'd spew a ton of gravel onto the track. That's problematic because the marshals have to get up there and clean it off. They've installed a buffer of an artificial sand trap gravel trap before the actual gravel trap begins and it's designed to be less disruptive to racing so if a car does go off there which is inevitable over the course of the weekend it's not going to kick up a lot of gravel but the risk is by jumping over those curbs and hitting this super abrasive artificial gravel trap you're going to chew up your tires so to me don't expect great racing this weekend and there isn't going to be a ton of overtaking if there is it's all going to be at t1 that said from a cinematic perspective, I still think the track location looks good. It looks beautiful amongst the dunes. Mm-hmm. And I love the backdrop of the ocean and all the fans pouring in. It's just not a great racing track. And I don't think there's a lot they can do to change that because like you said, it's one of the shorter tracks and it's built on a very, very, very compact piece of land. And I'll be very honest, if yep. not for the fact that Max Verstappen is such a hero in this country, I don't think the race organizers could ever have gotten over the environmental opposition to having this race at all. So if there was ever a bid to expand the track or rework the track configuration and disrupt the dunes in doing so, it would never fly. It would never fly. We're in a way lucky it's happening at all. Yeah, well, I mean, let's not forget it was uh, delayed because of COVID as well. Right. But I mean, you you completely nailed it. I mean, it's solely due to the fact that Max has been such a big player, like such a big name in Formula One over the past several years that the motiva- motivation and moreover, the political support to get this uh, race to Holland. And I mean, the fact that this, uh, the, this track needed to be upgraded to host a Formula One Grand Prix in the first place. And that, that's all to the fact that Max is such a big name. He's he's obviously reigning world champion that this was just uh, designed to be a celebration of and for Max Verstappen in front of his home fans. And in as such, I mean, I, I expect this to be the Max Verstappen show all weekend long. I mean, last year it was a, a phenomenal you know, atmosphere at Zanford. I mean, the, the flare is going to be going off. It's going to be a party atmosphere. I mean, expect a lot of like a big Dutch names. I mean, if you know the culture a little bit like I do, I mean, you'll know them when you see them. I mean, if you're not Dutch, you'll never know who I'm talking about. But anyways, that, that's all kind of cool. But th- that, that's what it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be a Max Verstappen slash Red Bull party this weekend unless something unexpected happens. And it's going to be really interesting when we wake up in the morning to see how things went in FP1 with with the trialing of the DRS through that reprofiled uh, bank corner. Well, I guess it's not reprofiled. It was reprofiled for last year, but it'll be interesting to see how this trial works because, I mean, that corner as it is, the uh, Ari Leyendijk Bocht, is, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, to add DRS to that uh, makes it even more, but more uh, exciting. But I guess potentially that could be too much of a good thing, especially when, you know, there's they're, they're going to be carrying a lot of speed into turn one as it is, even without the the, the use of DRS, which we, we saw last year as well. We saw some, and this is this is a little bit more about off the track topics, but in Austria, we saw some really repulsive fan behavior off the track during the Grand Prix weekend, and unfortunately, a little bit of it spilled over to Hungary. I, I think we should probably be sensitive to whether any of that happens 
this weekend. And I feel like the race organizers at Zanvoort probably looked at what happened in Austria and just recognized what a lack of security can do to a if what should be a family atmosphere and a family environment. And unfortunately, there were some pretty significant failings at, at Hungary as well. So hopefully, and I think that the race organizers will have it lined up, but hopefully we simply do not see even 1% of what we saw at those that those two races. Yeah, I mean, that was just uh, so repulsive and unnecessary and just unfortunate. I mean, it shouldn't have happened at any time, anywhere to anyone. And uh, I really hope uh, that, uh, that 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 you know the things that we're talking about come Sunday night are for all the right reasons, and that is what happened on the track and about the racing and 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 not anything unpleasant. And who knows? I mean, maybe the racing will be good because I mean, last year it's it's only the second Grand Prix at this track in in, in modern times, and last year's cars were completely different. And as we've seen at times this year, these new cars sometimes surprise when we don't uh, really expect it. So. It'll be interesting to see because you, you you mentioned that we had like a pretty enjoyable, a, a, a pretty um, good Hungarian Grand Prix. And I think that is a very good comparison to make with this track, although obviously there isn't the uh, the banked uh, cornering. But I mean, the otherwise, the, there are some similarities uh, to, to be had. And I mean, we had a bit more of a spectacle in Hungary than we typically see. So that leaves me with hope that uh, that, that we'll see something perhaps a little bit more exciting as done for this weekend. But having said that, I just due to the fact that Red Bull has been so dominant this season and especially over the last couple of races where nobody's really been able to get up and uh, and challenge them I mean not just for the championship but just to, even on a week to week race by race uh, basis I would just expect that it's it's going to be Max and Sergio I, I just this this race to me has a Red Bull Red Bull 1 2 written all over it and as far as who comes home third I guess it uh, really kind of is a bit of a toss-up. Uh, you know, talk to me after qualifying on Saturday and see who qualifies in third or fourth or perhaps even fifth. It's going to be uh, one of those uh, one of those drivers. I think would probably take the the, the final podium spot. But unless Max or uh, Checo have like a mechanical issue or they have some some incident with another car on the track, Hammy, I, I just I I just can't go against it. It just to, to me, it just uh, it, I would be ill-advised to, to bet against them at this moment. I just I just don't see yeah, it the happening. The key for, for Max this weekend is he just has to qualify on pole, which he probably will because he's been absolutely exceptional this year and that car is an absolute monster. And if he qualifies on pole and he has a clean start, he'll just run away with this because I think I agree with you that the only thing that could really disrupt a phenomenal one-two weekend for, for the Red Bull squad, the Milton Keynes squad, is either a mechanical failure and there's no reason to think that's going to happen or if they get caught up in traffic and if they can qualify well if they can get away well and and first lap there's no reason to think that that's not going to happen and i think you would have to be a very 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 brave or foolish person to put your money on somebody other mm-hmm. than max to to win this race and when you look at the championship standings and i know we it's not even worth necessarily going into them at this point because both championships <laughs> are getting blown wide open i think at this point we can start doing the math and trying to determine when this championship is going to be wrapped up and at one point it looked like it was going to be Brazil and then it looked like it was going to be Mexico City and now it looks and then it looked like it was going to be Austin and I think you might be smart at this point to put your money on the fact that Max could tie up this championship in in Japan and it would take an awful lot for him not to win the championship much later than that so 
I think the question now is not who's going to win the championship, but rather when he's going to win it and how much of the championship will be a dud because the championship will already have been decided, which isn't good for us because we we need something to talk about every week. And we know that once the championship's tied up and locked up, a lot of people check out on the season and it's not a lot of reason to continue to be excited. And one of the reasons last year was so phenomenal was, as we've said so many times, it went down to the last lap of the last race of the championship in a, a record long championship season. This year, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. Uh, and hopefully next year, things will be a little bit closer as some of the other teams put some work in on their car and they close that gap to Red Bull. But as you and I have said so many times this year as well, the championship shouldn't have been a blowout. It should have been significantly closer. And and really, Ferrari in so many ways robbed all of us. They robbed themselves, but they robbed all of us of a better, mm-hmm. a better 2022 championships as well. Well, there's been way too many Ferrari facepalm moments all, all, all season long, right? And the the other thing that uh, that I was thinking of that could make the uh, could make the race uh, interesting is that if uh, Max or um, Sergio has uh, a bit of a moment on Saturday or during practice and they have to change an engine or a gearbox, but then that's like artificially making the race a little bit more interesting. But as we saw at Spa last weekend, I mean, Max started in 14th and because there was a safety car right at the beginning, I mean, th- that deficit that he was forced to, um, to to try and go through to work his way up through the race order, it was uh, erased by, uh, by, by lap eight. And it was also erased by the fact that he wasn't starting from the very last row because literally everybody else <laughs> had to take a, a grid penalty for one reason or another, added another five or six cars behind himself and Charles Leclerc. So, I mean... <laughs> It kind of um, it set him back, and then it moved him forward. So, and as Tim and I talked about it, that you know maybe uh, Formula One needs to take a, a look at how these uh, penalties uh, are handed out. Anyways, Mark, really great to be back. Really uh, enjoyed doing the show again with you. It uh, it seems like a long time since you and I sat down in the studio to do this uh, together. So, you know, I I have missed it over the past uh, couple of weeks, and it I, I must admit when I was listening to the podcast and only heard your voice and someone else and not my own, what uh, was a little bit uh, strange, but uh, certainly good uh, to be back. But before you go, I know you always have a couple of housekeeping items for for everybody listening. So why don't you do that, and then I'll cue up the if, music, and then we'll, we'll let everybody get on with their if weekends. If you enjoy the show, and if you've listened to this point in this podcast, I assume you do. It means the world to both of us. If you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, you probably already are, but maybe what you haven't done is if you're on Spotify, if you can give us a rating, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you can give us a rating and a review, it means the world to us. We had a ton of fantastic new reviews trickle in over the last couple of weeks. They make us so happy, but if you can take a couple minutes out of your busy day to do that for us, it would mean the world. Absolutely. Did you have an update on the merch yet? Or I know because we were looking into that, right? Like I said, I am very, very, very motivated to deliver a high quality product. And, you know, I was talking to Micah, who's big into the fashion game as well. And I I was kind of explaining to him that if I'm doing this, it's something that I would be proud to own and wear and something I would be proud to ship. So we've been working with a number of different vendors, just trying to get the absolute best quality product. I think I found the vendor and I I think we're probably going to use a champion uh, branded apparel for the merch. So it'll be branded apparel. It won't be some generic off the shelf stuff. It'll be nice championship champion branded stuff. And we're working on doing a couple of colorways. One would be a dark Navy blue to match our branding uh, with white, 
embroidered lettering, and the other would be a black uh, apparel with gold embroidered lettering. So we're working on just getting some new merchandising nice. or marketing assets. We're also about to launch a website. Maybe you want to speak about that as well. You shared the good news with me earlier today. Yeah, so I mean that that's something that uh, that I haven't gotten around to for a while. I had it up and running for for quite a few years, and then just because I didn't have the bandwidth uh, to keep it going, I just uh, kind of let it lapse. But yeah, so we will have a uh, we'll have a landing uh, page, uh, a homepage for for the podcast, and uh, a little bit um, easier way to interact with us, and just basically for a place for the community to to, to gather and uh, kind of keep up to with uh, everything that we're doing. So that will be launching very soon. We just um, have to start putting it. Uh, together and that's uh, going to be fun i love uh, doing those uh, sorts of stuff you've already like booked off about like three <laughs> weeks of your holiday to to take care of that so that's uh, going to be a good can't wait for that to, to, to launch anyways that is going to be a wrap uh, for us thank you all very much uh, for for listening to the show this week if you want to get in touch throw or tweet away at scootery f1 pod and if you want to send us an email uh email us at scootery f1 pod at gmail.com that's going to be phased out shortly for a, a little bit easier one to remember but that's it until the website is live until the race is over and all that good stuff uh, thanks for dropping by enjoy your weekend enjoy the race and we'll talk to you again sunday night and we'll talk to you then bye for now <laughs>